Amen. Psalms 115 says it best, not unto us, not unto us, but unto you and unto your name get the glory. And certainly this morning we do not come to be glory thieves, but we come to give Jesus the glory because nobody else deserves the glory but Jesus Christ. Uh, and we do that in a few ways. We do that through the singing of the word of God. We do that through uh, the preaching of the gospel. And I'm excited to do that. So let's go ahead and do it. Grab your Bibles. Let's jump right in. Meet me in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. And I got up really, really early this morning and uh, I had a late night. I ended up binge watching a show that is crazy. I've already watched already, but for some reason I went back over and started to watch it again last night. And I went to sleep really late last night, but nevertheless got up really early and was praying for our time together this morning. And in doing so, uh, man, I don't know why I just felt like Today's passage, uh, Paul's words in 1 Corinthians 1, is really, 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 really strategic for where we are. I'm talking individually and corporately, but particularly, you know, now that we're, we're in the last month of 2018, I mean, it just, it feels like we just got into 2018, but we're, in, we're now in the last month, and there are some things that I, I just think the Lord uh, has been pressing on your heart that really hasn't crystallized, and some things that I, I love to see us go into 2019 uh, and really get after. And so we will be in standalone series for the next several weeks. Standalone just simply means it's disconnected from a sermon series. And uh, then we'll do some Christmas stuff at the end of the month. And then I don't know if you guys are excited, but I've been praying about our time in the book of Romans. Uh, if you've never been through a book of the Bible with our church, we literally go through line by line and verse by verse of a book. So we started the church. We went through the book of Colossians. We've also went through uh, the book of Jonah, we've went through First Peter, uh, we've went through the book of Habakkuk, and now we'll be going through the, uh, the book of Romans. 16 chapters. This is the longest book we've ever done. And so I'm excited about it. We'll do eight chapters. We'll take a break for a couple of months, and then we'll do the other eight chapters. And I, I can promise you, we'll be in it for at least over a year, a little bit over a year. But I, I, just, I just know it's going to be good, you know, I've told you guys before, whenever we do a book of the Bible, you know, one of the things that doesn't afford me the opportunity of doing, which I would do, is skip over stuff. You know, because sometimes you just want to communicate, you know, what you feel comfortable communicating. There's some stuff in Romans that I'm just like, man, Lord, I don't know what you're going to do. It's, some of them are almost like what, what they call space makers, where you preach it and nobody else comes back to the church and now you got space in the church. Romans chapter 1 starts out like that. Romans chapter 9 is like that. And so uh, I'm, not, I'm not praying that happens. But nevertheless, God has called our church to be faithful to not just the word of God, but faithful to all of it. And so we have to preach through all of it. And so we'll be in book of Romans. Uh, I don't know the exact date, but sometime starting uh, in 2019, probably the end of January. All right, let's dig in this morning. Y'all all right? Because y'all was quiet during worship. Y'all good? All right, it's the rain, I know. First Corinthians 1, pick me up in verse 26. For consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many of you were powerful. Not many of you were of noble birth. But God chose what was foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what was weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what was low and despised in the world, even the things that are not, to bring to nothing the things that are. Here's why. 
so that no human being might be able to boast in the presence of God. And because of him, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness, sanctification, and redemption. So as it is written, now he's about to quote, you should underline it, Jeremiah uh, um, 9, 24. Let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. I want to preach from the topic that's, that's more posed to you this morning as a question. And the topic slash question is this, why did God choose me? Let us look to the Lord. Uh, Father, we're desperately in need of you. We, we don't want to presume upon your, your grace and your goodness to us this morning. Uh, Lord, we, we don't just want to leave out of here with an information dump. We don't want to just learn some historical facts. We don't just want to hear some, somebody wax eloquent over, uh, over Greek and Hebrew. We, we really need transformation. And so, Lord, as we get into the, the nitty-gritty of Paul's letter to the Corinthian church, would you help us to actively apply it to our lives today? And, Lord, let the application not just be notes, but let it move to our feet and our hands and our heart and our minds and the way we make decisions and the way we think. And, Lord, I, I really do feel convicted this morning as I consider some things in 2018. And I read this passage, Lord, there's just some things that were left undone. And as we go into 2019, Lord, uh, we have a month left, Lord. Would you, would you help us to focus, focus in, stir our hearts for you, stir our affections for you, stir the giftings that you put in this room, stir them up for you. It's in Christ's name we give all glory. Amen. Why did God choose me? Uh, many of you have heard my, my story of working at Verizon Wireless, worked in the corporate office, didn't really do sales. I'm not a really a good salesman, so they put me in the corporate office. Uh, one of the things I've admitted from the story, or omitted, I should say, from the story, is that when I was working at Verizon Wireless, I was uh, a manager of a team, a supervisor of a team. They called it the non-standard contract team. They were part of the finance department. And uh, there was one season of, the, the team was small in the very beginning, but there was one season where they put, that the executives of the company put on my team the responsibilities of doing a very sensitive project. This project would have last us, lasted us for five years. I ended up leaving before the end of the project to come plant the church. But uh, when they tasked us with this responsibility, they realized really quickly that we needed more team members. So they opened up the hiring process. And they, they gave me the responsibility of hiring at least four to five new people onto my team so that we could successfully and, pr and productively do this sensitive project that they put on my plate. And when I opened up the hiring process, I, I don't know about you guys, if anybody has a managerial position, if anybody's a supervisor that has ever done uh, any, you looked over resumes, you've done interviews, but typically I really have a really, really high standard in corporate America of who's going to be on my team. And so I looked at all these resumes and when we get into the interview, you, I mean, your resume got to be tight, tight, it got to be free of, of misspellings. You're, when you sit down in front of me, I, I really need to see a high level of confidence, almost to where it's arrogance, just a little bit. I, I need to see somebody that isn't overly nervous. I need somebody to be sharp with the answers, well thought through. And that's typically how I chose the team that would lead this sensitive project that the executives at Verizon Wireless laid down on us. Now, when I come across this passage, I can't help but notice that the way in which I choose people God does it absolutely opposite. So I choose people, you got to be the best of the best. 
You got to have the best resume. You got to have the best answers. If you mess up at one part and somebody else didn't mess up, I'm probably going to choose somebody else. But when I look at this passage, God does not typically choose the best of the best. God typically looks around and chooses the worst. Did, did you read the passage that is before us? And here's what's interesting about this passage slash this letter. You know, Paul wrote this letter, if you're not familiar, Paul wrote uh, 1 Corinthians and he wrote it somewhere around 55 AD. And whenever Paul writes, Paul typically writes with a high level of authority. Paul writes and gives a lot of imperatives or a lot of commands. In fact, if you go to chapter 14 of this very same, uh, this very same book, you go to chapter 14 around verse 37, Paul says something very interesting. He says, the things that I am writing to you are a command of the Lord. Like the early church would have looked at Paul's letters and realized they were commands pretty early. But here's what's interesting. In our passage today, we only get one command from Paul. In fact, I'll go so far as to say this is the first command of the entire book. And the first command is something that I think that we should consider deeply this morning. Look at it with me. Verse 26. Here's the first command, the first imperative. Verse 26. For consider your calling. That is the command that Paul is telling to the Corinthian church. He wants them to consider their calling. And more broadly than that, he wants you this morning to consider your calling. Now, this word calling has, it really has a primary meaning. And then there's a secondary application. The primary meaning of what Paul is talking about, about considering your calling, is consider your position in Christ. Consider the calling, the election that God has put on you. Consider that you are saved. That is the first thing Paul is calling them to do. And that is the number one reason why we preach the gospel here, week in and week out. Because as a pastor, I have a responsibility to lay before you every single week the opportunity for you to consider your calling. Here is why every one of our songs don't point back to us, but every one of our songs point to the gospel and the work that Jesus Christ has done on the cross on our behalf. Why? Because you need to consider your calling every song. Why do we do communion every single service, not every Sunday, every service of every Sunday? That's an expensive little note on our budget. We could do without it and just do it once a month. I want you every Sunday when you come to service to consider your calling. And so Paul tells them, he says, listen, consider your calling. Here's the question you should be asking. Called from what? Here's what you were called from. You were called out of darkness. Let me put Bible there. First Peter chapter two, verse number nine. You are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possessions, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into the marvelous light. See, you're, you're waiting to shout at the end of the sermon. But I'm telling you now that you were called by the living God and you shouldn't have been called. You were called by the creator of the universe, and there was nothing in you that was callable. There was nothing in you that was desirable in the worldly standards. But God looked down, and he says, no, I want you. So here's, here's the first reason why we should be rejoicing is because God, the living God, decided that he would call us. And here's why else you should rejoice, because you couldn't call yourself. You couldn't. There was nothing in you to elect yourself. It is the mouse chasing the cat. You never see it. God always has to chase us. God always has to call us. 
So thanks be unto God that we have a God that did not sit in heaven and look at us and say they trifling. I ain't calling them. But God looked down and said, I know they trifling and I'm still going to call them and I'm still going to use them. So the first reason why we should consider our calling is because it puts front and center of us the gospel of Christ. Here's the second reason or really the second application, I should say. The first is consider your calling, your position in Christ. Second, consider the calling that he has put on your life. In other words, yes, he's called you out of darkness, but he's also called you to do something. Consider the giftings that he's put in your life. Consider the mission that he put in front of you. Consider whatever God has called you to do. Here's what we should be doing this morning, considering it. Now, here's why I say this morning when I got up, I was a little anxious. Because when I realized there were some things God called me to do in 2018 that I just didn't do. Okay, y'all going to be deep this morning. Is there anybody that can be honest and say God called you to do something in 2018 and you are a little slow to do it? Maybe it was that business plan that God called you to write that you still haven't written. Maybe it was a ministry opportunity that God called you to pursue and you still haven't pursued it. God called some of you to go back to school and you still haven't put the application in yet. God called some of you to slow down and spend time with your family and you still haven't done it yet. What has God called you to do? Paul grabs us by the lapels this morning and he says, consider what I've put in you. Consider what God has called you to do. Consider the ministry that God is. And we got too comfortable. In 2018, we got too comfortable because we saw somebody else doing it, and we say, they got it. But God called you to do it. God called you to pursue it. So here's what he says this morning. He says, consider not just the position you have in Christ, but consider the giftings that I put in you. Are you giving the world the best you and giving God the half you? You give God the tired you, but you give corporate America everything. You give your job. You're killing it at work. But when it comes to the kingdom of God, what are you doing? Consider the giftings that he put inside of you. Now, you're not alone if you're sitting in here going, ah, there were some opportunities that I missed. Listen, there were some moments where I doubted. Hear me. I doubted the calling that God put on my life. There were some moments in 2018 where whether I was tired and depleted and just needed rest, and I looked around, and I said, God, I'm just tired. I'm ready to give up. Are, are, are y'all, can I lay it out to you all this morning? Heck, have you ever been there where you were, you were doing the will of God, but you just got so tired and got distracted? You decided that you wanted to do something else. Or maybe it was those moments where multiple sins showed up within the church, and I was contemplating whether uh, I was wasting time preaching and I was wasting time counseling because everybody's doing whatever they want anyway. Those are the moments where we want to we wanna move back on the calling that God has put on us. Or maybe it was those moments where I felt ill-equipped to do what God called me to do. You ever been there? Like, okay, I, I'm going to just be honest. I know y'all like passing, not you. Listen to me. I promise you there are moments where I have to make decisions and I have no clue what I'm doing. Oh, y'all, y'all can act like y'all always know. Y'all super spiritual. Y'all spend it. There are moments where I walk out of here and y'all think I'm confident. I walk away going, Lord, I have no clue what I'm doing. And if you don't show up, this thing's going to fall apart. Consider your calling. What has God called you to do? And some of you, you don't have to dig deep this morning. You know exactly what God has called you to do. 
You know what that area that you've prayed and prayed and prayed about, that might be the area that God is calling you to do something. So Paul grabs this this morning and says, nah, bro, I didn't call my neighbor. I didn't call the person you're sitting next to. I called you, and I called you to do something. So here's what he says. He says, consider your calling. Ladies and gentlemen, may, may we rest well in the calling and the election of our God because he, oh, he never calls us. Don't get it twisted. He's not calling you because you bring something to the table. He's calling you because you are utterly helpless. And in you being utterly helpless, him putting his power on you, he gets the glory for it. Look at verse 26. Here's your resume. He says, consider your calling, brothers. Here's your resume. For not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many of you were powerful. And not many of you were of noble birth. Paul just says God called you to whatever it was that he's called you to do and even the position you have in Christ. God called you not because you were wise. God called you not because you were powerful. God called you not because you were of noble birth. In most first century AD Greco-Roman times during uh, these uh, religious times during this time that there was you typically got called or you felt like you got called because of your birth, because of your social standing. Paul says, not so. You were not called because of your socioeconomic makeup. You are called because God is all powerful and he delights to call people and use people that bring nothing to the table. That's who God, did you just read this? He's not called you because you were wise. He's not called you because you were powerful and did not call you because you were of noble birth. All week long when I was reading this, this was so helpful for me because as a pastor, see, and that's the thing about your calling. When you're called to something and it actually starts working, you can start to take the credit for it. But we read passages like this and it pushes against it. Like this was helpful for me this morning because I know how the thing works as a pastor. You plant the thing. People start coming. You start getting a few amens and you start, as my pastor would say, smelling your own armpit juice. You, you start feeling yourself when, when in reality, people don't come because you wax eloquent. People don't come because of your charisma. People come because they are drawn to the gospel that is on your life. That's why people come. And so he says, listen, I'm not calling you because you're wise. I'm not calling you because you're powerful. I'm not calling you because you're noble. I'm calling you because I'm wise. I'm calling you because I'm powerful. I'm calling you because I am noble. So you bring nothing to the table. Jesus does this in Matthew 28 as well. Write that down. The Great Commission, where Jesus gives the Great Commission to the church. And there's something interesting that happens in verse 17. Before he gives the Great Commission, the scripture says, that when Jesus drew near, some doubted and some worshiped, which is interesting because I would think that Jesus would only give the Great Commission to the worshipers. But he looks at the doubters and he doesn't dismiss them, but he gives the Great Commission to both the worshipers and the doubters, suggesting to me that God delights to use weak, fickle people. Like, you're about to start the most powerful movement in the creation of all time, in the history of all time, and you're going to start it with a bunch of doubters? You're going to start it with people that are skeptical? But yet, God looks at them and decides to use them. Why? Because God uses nothing. He uses scraps and makes a masterpiece out of it. So don't think that you may not be qualified. 
You may not be qualified for the job. You may not have the wisdom to write the, the prospectus and the business plan, but do it anyway. Why? Because God is all wise. Because God is powerful. If you really want proof that God uses, he uses scraps to do his will. I'm exhibit A. Like I'm, just, I'm, just, I'm telling y'all, there are moments where, forget that I don't know what I'm doing, there are moments where I'm sitting down going, man, somebody else should be doing this. Like, I, I'd be good in the, on the hospitality team. I'd get in the kids. I'm telling you, I'd kill it in the kids' room. Like, I, I, I think this sometimes. But in the reality, the, the reality is, yes, you might not be qualified, but he does. He takes our scraps, and he decides that he would use them. So here's our resume. You're not wise. You're not powerful. And he says you're not of noble birth. Now, there's something that you should pick up here. There's two words that are used in verse 27 and 28 over and over and over again. Look at verse 27 with me. He gives you more of your resume. It says, but here it is, the two words, God chose what was foolish in the world to shame the wise. Here it is again. God chose what was weak in the world to shame the strong. Last time, God chose what was low and despised in the world, even the things that are not to bring to nothing the things that are. Did you just read that with me three times? God chose. God chose. God chose. Like Paul here isn't running out of words to use. This is very intentional. There's a book called Expositional Preaching by a guy named David Helm. And he talks about in the book, he has an entire chapter devoted to this. And I've said this to you before. His entire chapter devoted to this term called the melodic line. The melodic line is, is a musical uh, term. It talks about a, the sequence of notes that, that form uh, the song. And, and so the same notes that are used over and over again is the, is, the, is the pattern of the song, if you will. Whenever our author, this is just Bible study 101. Whenever our author uses the same words over and over and over again, it is the focus of that chapter. It is the focus of that verse. It is the focus of that book. Like, read, read the book of Jude on, on your devotional time and pick up how many times he talks about us being kept by the Lord. It is the focus at least seven or eight times. It is the focus of that book. So when he says God chose, God chose, God chose, he's not stuttering. He didn't lose his place. He didn't, he didn't somehow say, man, I don't know what I'm saying anymore, so let me just throw some words in here. He's intentionally getting you to focus on the fact that God chose you. He's trying to get you to focus on, and, and that's why I'm saying we shouldn't wait to say amen at the end of this, because if we understood that we shouldn't have been chosen, yeah. like if you understood that you should, like God, you, this is what God does. God looks at the court and sees the all-stars on the court, and then he looks at the bench and sees the guy, you know, with the, with the glasses and got the thing on the back. You know, he, he looks at the kid with the shorts, with the, with the socks all the way up, and he looks at that kid and he says, that's my squad. Not the all-stars, but the bench is my squad. And here's why you should be rejoicing, because that is you and I. You and I are on the bench. And so over and over again, he says, God chose. God chose. God chose. And I know some of y'all are like, nah, nah, I am the all-star. Like, finally, God chose me. Like, he should, like, I don't know how the kingdom was operating without me. You know how gifted I am? Like, the kingdom should have fell apart a long time ago. Like, this thing been working for over 2,000 years, but you think because you're on the team now, it's gonna, now it's going to work. No, it's been working. And here's, here, here's, here's a real punch in the face. God can do it without you. 
but he chooses to use you. Three times, God chose. God chose. God chose. Because this is what I love about God. He takes, when he gets scraps in his hand, it becomes a masterpiece. Soon as he grabs it, it now has value. It had no value before, but as soon as God puts his hands on it, it now has value. I'm told of a story of, 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 a, of an auction that took place. And, and, and during this auction, the auctioner was auctioning off all these items. And there was a violin that he was auctioning off. And the violin was beat up. It was dusty. It, it, the strings were all loose and all over the place. And he thought it was a waste of time. And he was right. He put it up for auction and got $3. An old guy in the back of, of the room raised his hand and said he wanted it. The only one said he wanted it for $3. He comes to the front and he gets the violin and he dusted off and he tightens up the strings and nobody knew that he was a master violin player. And he starts to play all this beautiful music and everybody in the room, like the room filled with amazement. And after he dusted off and after he played it, he then put it back on auction. He donated it back and it did not go for three dollars this time. It went for three thousand dollars. Now hear me. Nothing changed with the violin. What changed was when the violin got in that master's hand. And that's you and I. You and I are nothing apart from Christ. But when he gets it and tightens those strings and dusts it off, then now it's usable. Now it's valuable. Now it is worth, worth something. And if you want to see that God chooses losers, look at the men he chose in the Bible. And I'm not just talking his disciples. Look at Moses. Like God decides that he wants to choose Moses to deliver his people out of Egypt. But before he does that, don't miss this. He had to talk to Pharaoh first. Now, when, when Moses in Midian, is in Midian and God comes to him and says, listen, this is what I want you to do. What does Moses say? He, he says, I'm of slow speech. I'm of slow tongue. In other words, I have a stuttering problem. I have a speech impediment. But God uses him not to just walk to, not to just part of Red Sea. He uses him to talk to the most powerful man in Egypt, despite the fact he couldn't even talk. This is what God does. He chooses people that have nothing so that when you do actually do the work, you can't say, look what I did. No, you stutter. You can't do anything. But it is the power of God. He chooses Matthew. Matthew was a tax collector, one of the most hated men in town. But he chooses him. And he puts him as one of the 12, Matthew, and allows him to write scripture. Nevertheless, he was hated in town. He chooses people like the little boy with the two fish and the five loaves. Just didn't have enough, probably didn't have enough for his own lunch. But God used the scraps and fed 5,000 people. He uses people like Paul. Like Paul, like this is a persecutor of the church. But when God puts his hand on him, he now plants churches and writes 75 percent of the New Testament. And you and I sit in this room and read a letter from him. And he was a persecutor of the church because God uses stuff like that. He uses other people like Peter. Like if anybody was a screw up, Peter was. I mean, he just was. P Peter, I mean, this is the guy that got shady with the Gentiles when the Jews came. This is a guy that, that sometimes slipped out some cuss words, cuts a soldier's ear off. This is a guy that denies Christ. Yet in all of that, we spent 10 months as a church going through the letter, going through the words of Peter, somebody who should have never been chosen. 
Let me go deeper. There's a verse tucked away in Acts chapter 4 that says, when they noticed that Peter was an uneducated common man. Like, imagine that. Peter that wrote 1 Peter, that wrote 2 Peter, that saw Jesus walking on the water, and he walked on the water, the one that Jesus says, upon this I'm going to build my church, that Peter, that same Peter, got chosen by God. This is, the, this, this is what God delights in. God delights in using nothing and making something out of it. And so he uses weak people, and so you and I should rejoice. What's your story? Before we move on, what is God, what scraps is God using when he grabs you? When he, when he puts you on the team and puts a calling on your life, what, are, what scraps is, what, what do you feel like you are not good enough, qualified enough for? What is it that you are giving God that God can stretch and make work? Because you're not getting called, you're not getting called on the team because you are wise or because you are powerful. Did you read this? You're not wise. You're not. In fact, I love this. In verse 27, he says, but God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. You're the fool that God chooses to shame the wise. You're, you're, you're the weak one. You're, you're the low one. Did you read the text? You're the despised one. You are the one that has nothing, and God always makes something out of nothing. Let's get back at the text. Verse 29. Here's why he does that. So that no human being may be able to boast in the presence of God. And because of him, you are, I love this, in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness, sanctification, and redemption. So that as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. He chooses weak, feeble, and fickle people because at the end of the day, he does not want you to beat your chest and say, look at what I did. He wants you to beat your chest and say, look at what God does. Anytime you want to take credit, and I, I tweeted this, uh, I put this on Facebook earlier this week, where I said, never take credit for how God uses you. Because the reality is that's what we do. Like, you do realize you're whack without God. Like, you just are. Like, like I'm, I'm serious. You are, no, you are absolutely nothing. I don't want to boast you up this morning. You're nothing apart from God. So any little bit that he uses you at work, the giftings you have, the stuff that you're able to create, that ain't you. That's God. And so he does that because he does not. If you're wise enough, then you'll take credit. You'll be able to say, well, of course that happened. Of course that worked out. Did you see that business plan? Did you see how I put that together? Did you see the words? I did? did you see the graphics behind it? You'll start to take credit for it. And so he says, no, nah, I can't use you then. I, I got to use people that are nothing. I got to use people that, are, that the world, has, that society has thrown away. I got to use them. Because when I use them, they'll be quick to say, I have no clue how that worked out. I have no clue how I did that. It was nothing but God, him we proclaim. That's what uh, Paul says later on in Colossians chapter 1, verse 28. Him we proclaim. That's bad English. I mean, bad English. Him we proclaim. You would think he would say, we proclaim him. It's bad English, but it's good theology. We proclaim him. And anything that, you, anything that you're killing it in, you've got to give God the glory. Got to give God the glory. So you're never good. You're never as good as God uses you. You're just not. When you look back, you should marvel. You should look back and be like, man, I can't believe that thing worked out. Oh, praise God it worked out because he's that, he's that dude. I'm not. So the Bible says here, he doesn't use you because you boast. He, here's our position. We're in Christ. Did you read that? In verse, I'm going to finish up here. In verse, 20, in verse 30, it says, 
And because of him, you are in Christ Jesus. I like that. I like that because that's, the posi- that's how I want to be known. In fact, hon, put that on my tombstone. A weak pastor in Christ. That's what I want to be known for. And that's what you should be known for. People should know you. Like, they shouldn't just know about the accomplishments that you do. They should know that you serve, that you're in Christ. And the reason you're able to do those things is because of your position at being in Christ. Not because you were so wise. So he says, listen, I use foolish people, but there's, he doesn't only, like, you're not the only fool in the text. I'm not the only fool in the text. I'll end here. On your devotional time, look at verse 18. We didn't read it today. We don't have time to preach it. But in verse 18, it says the word of the cross is folly. The foolishness of the cross, the, the, the cross that would say, you know, the cross was, was designed for the worst of the worst criminals. But yet the only sinless person gets like Christ should have never been on the cross. That's foolishness. That is madness. We should have been on the cross. But it is, it is foolishness to those who don't know the Lord. But to, did you read the rest of it? It says, it says, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. The same message that is folly to some is the message that makes me drop to my knees before my king. It is the message that we come. The reason you came here this morning, you took a shower, you came here, you got some coffee. You came here not to see your brothers and sisters. You came here because of this message that makes us drop to our knees. You came here, because, but it, for somebody else, the Bible just said it's foolishness. It is folly that the King of kings and the Lord of lords would get up upon a cross and breathe air that he created, but he'd do it so that you could have a chance to eternal life with God. This is foolishness. So you're not the only foolish thing that he uses. He used the foolishness of the cross. And in that foolishness, I don't know about you, but man, I always thought that, I mean, it's not that I denounced the cross, but the message of the gospel was just, man, that just didn't make sense. There, There is no other religion where God got up on the cross. There is no other religion where God decides to die for his people. In every other religion, you gotta work. You gotta earn. Only in Christianity does God say, nah, they can't earn. They can't work. So I'ma send my son. It's foolishness. It is madness. Some of you in this room, when I'm talking about consider your position in Christ, some of you realize that you're not in Christ. Some of you realize that the calling that we're talking about, the election of God choosing us, you're in your mind, you know, man, he. I know he chose me, but I'm running. But there's something called irresistible grace. You can run as far as you want to. God always, like his grace is so irresistible, you will stop in your tracks and acknowledge him as Lord at some point. You always will. And some of you, you came in this room, I'm not fooled. I know you don't know the Lord. I know you don't. And you should not go another day. Not, I'm not talking going to 2019. Don't go into 2019 not knowing the Lord. No, don't go into the next, after, the next hour and not know the Lord. You need to know him today. And others of you that, that have trusted in Jesus, like rejoice in your, in your calling. Rejoice in the, in, the, in the position that you have in Christ. Like consider, out of everybody in your family, he chose you. Out of everybody in your building, he chose you. He got up on your floor 
and went past all of those apartments, got into your house, went past certain rooms, got to your room, and decided to save you. Like, consider all the people in your neighborhood that he went by to save you. Now, consider the, now that's just our position in Christ. Now, consider with me what he's called you to do. He did not have to give you those giftings. He could have given them to somebody else that would have actually did something with them. So you got to, listen to me, you have to consider your calling this morning. Every head bowed and every eye closed. Don't delay. Seriously, don't delay in, in moving and operating for the Lord. When I went downstairs this morning to my little office to pray, I was deeply convicted by the fact that there were some things that I just left undone. Why? Because I think I got more time. Tomorrow's not promise. You need to work for him today. You need to operate in your calling today. And some of us, if we're honest, we're just flat out disobedient. We know what God's called us to do. And we decided that that's too much work, so I'm going to do something else. All disobedience is sin. Father, I want to pray for everybody in this room today. But I, I realize that there are some people that came in and And honestly, man, some of the stuff that they clearly know you've called them to do, they've just set on it. Some of it is discouragement and some of it's just not feeling good enough, not feeling qualified enough. Lord, I want to affirm this morning that we're not good enough. I want to just deeply affirm that we're not qualified enough. But Father, when you, when you, when you get us into your hands, there is so much. You can use us in ways that we could have never done it by ourselves. So, Father, would we realize that? I also want to pray for that person that doesn't know you. That's the greatest part of this prayer, is that the person that doesn't know you would trust in you today, would trust in what the world would say is foolishness, that you decided to send your son to die for our sins. Father, I pray for everybody in this room that doesn't know you, that they would trust you today, that you would surround them with people that love you, that could speak truth to them, that could speak the gospel to them? Would they not leave here today and not know you? Would they talk to somebody? Say, like Nicodemus, what must I do to be saved? And maybe be quick to point them to Christ. It's in Christ's name we pray and give glory. Amen.